Grace and peace to you in the name of God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank the session and the pastors for welcoming me to preach today. And the first thing I want to do is make all of you super Presbyterians. Are you ready? Yes, I'm going to tell you what a synod is because only super Presbyterians know what a synod is, and that's the kind of ministry that I do. So you've got the local church, then you've got the Presbytery, you're part of Detroit Presbytery, and then Detroit Presbytery is part of the Synod of the Covenant, which is where I serve. The Synod of the Covenant has about 700 churches and about 100,000 Presbyterians in Ohio and Michigan, and I bring you greetings on behalf of all of them. The other reason I want you to be super Presbyterians and know about the Synod is because our offices are here at the Kirk. Our offices are here on the third floor of the Abbey, and we are so grateful to have a partnership in ministry with the Kirk. So thank you for that ministry, and thank you for inviting me to preach here today. So I am wondering how all of you are doing on whatever Lenten practice you took up. Maybe you took something on, maybe you gave something up, and I want you to raise your hand high. Today is the 26th day of Lent, so we are more than halfway home. And so if you have done perfectly so far on whatever you plan to give up or take on, I want you to raise your hand high as you can. Raise your hand high as you can. I see Ann Schaefer in the front. You can raise it high. Ann Schaefer is the only person in this church. So, so what, if, what if you are doing okay? Put your hand like this. So I see a couple that are doing okay, a couple that are doing okay. And if you either decided, if you're either doing terribly or if you decided that the thing you're giving up for Lent is to give up trying to do whatever it was that you said that you were going to do for Lent, you can leave your hand all the way down. Now, when I started, I started out strong for the first week, and I would say I'm about here now. Now, as I said, for Lent, sometimes people these days take something on for Lent, like maybe reading the Bible more, going to a small group, or praying more. But I think it's still more popular to give something up for Lent. I found a survey by an organization called YouGov America, and they surveyed a bunch of Christians in America and asked them what it was that they gave up for Lent. So what do you think the number one thing was that people gave up for Lent, give up for Lent? What do you think the number one thing is? Somebody, somebody tell me. Chocolate, I heard. Chocolate is right. The number one thing is chocolate or sweets or dessert, right? Now, what I want you to do is turn to somebody near you and tell them what percentage of Americans you think said, of Christians, of Christians who's, who were planning to give up for something for Lent, what percentage of them said chocolate or sweets or dessert? So turn to somebody near you and say what you think the percentage is of people that said chocolate or sweets or desserts. And now the choir was here for the nine o'clock service, so I'm not gonna ask you for a guess of how many people, how many Americans who give up something for Lent, how many of them said chocolate or sweets 
But how about somebody on this side? What number do you think it is? What percentage? Just take a guess. 80, 80 percent. All right, somebody, it's lower than 80 percent. So how about somebody on this side? 60 percent. It's almost 25 percent. Almost 25 percent. So here are some of the other things. Pop was at 20 percent. Fast food and dining out was 20 percent. Alcohol was 17%, but I do have to say it was the word that Pastor Edwin said with the most vigor at the 815 service when we were guessing what it was that people were giving up. I'm not making any commentary on that. Uh, Gossiping, non-essential shopping, social media, watching TV or streaming, drinking caffeine, or playing video games. That's the list the most popular things. Now, at their worst, or at its worst, giving up something for Lent is just an exercise in willpower, gritting our teeth, or um, trying to lose a little weight, or maybe trying to raise your hand up high when some guest preacher is at your church on the 26th day of Lent. But at its best, Giving up something for Lent gives us a taste of our spiritual discipline for today, which is surrender. It gives us a taste of what it means not to get everything we want all the time. It gives us the opportunity to realize that we're not always the one in control. And yet, as helpful as it is to give up something for Lent or take on something for Lent, that's not yet the kind of surrender that God is talking about, that Paul, excuse me, that Paul is talking about, that God through Paul is talking about in our passage from Philippians. The idea of surrender is is throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. Surrender is super biblical. But these days, it's not super popular. Even on the 26th day of Lent, only Ann Schaefer was the only one who raised her hand up high out of this whole sanctuary. So the idea of surrendering a little, even for Lent, isn't as popular as maybe it ought to be. The author Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, which some of you might be reading this Lent along with others at the Kirk, he says that we have this inherent desire to be in control. We work to satisfy everything we want. And as he says, we have this terrible burden of always needing to get our own way the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. He says the obsession to demand that things go the way we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. People will spend weeks, months, or even years in a perpetual stew because some little thing did not go the way they wanted. This rings true to me. Maybe it rings true to you, even if you did not choose Kentucky to go all the way in March Madness 
Kentucky, the team that flamed out on the very first day of the tournament in the most humiliating defeat in the history of the world's greatest college basketball tradition. I'm not that I'm still bitter about it. I think this desire to get our own way and think that we know what is best. It, it, I had started thinking about this and wrestling with this when I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. I was in a city where I used to live and I needed to catch a cab to go to the airport and I knew exactly how to get to the airport from where I was. And the cab driver took me a different way. And I was sure that he was just trying to get a higher fare out of me. And the farther he went, the madder I got. And I sat there and I thought, okay, I'm gonna say something. Okay, I'm gonna say something. Okay, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. And then we got to the airport faster than we would have gotten there if we had gone the way that I thought. It seems like maybe he knew more about road construction. Maybe he knew more about traffic patterns. Maybe he knew that it was a flat rate meter and I was not going to pay the same rate no matter how quickly we got there. Now, a trip to the airport and March Madness, they are not that big of a deal. At least they shouldn't be. But this desire to always have everything go our way, according to Foster, can drain all the joy out of our lives. He says, if we can't lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way, we risk the escalation of conflict and the loss of friendships. Now, letting go of feeling like we need to get everything to go our way gets us closer to what Paul is talking about in the book of Philippians, but we're still not there yet. So let's turn to this passage again. I want to read just a little bit of the passage that Pastor Edwin read. Paul says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, when we think about this passage, we see that Jesus didn't just surrender something for Lent, as helpful as that can be. And he didn't just surrender the idea that he could always get whatever he wanted, as helpful as that can be. What Jesus surrendered was the glories of heaven to come down to earth to walk to the cross. What Jesus surrendered again and again and again was the need to put what was good for him 
above what was good for us. I mean, think about it. Jesus was God in every way that you could be God. Jesus was reigning in heaven with God, and Jesus decided to come down to earth. Could have stayed up in earth and avoided the whole thing, stayed up in heaven and avoided the whole thing, but instead Jesus surrendered himself and came to earth. And he didn't come to earth as the emperor, and he didn't come to earth as the Roman governor, and he didn't come to earth as whatever the ancient Near East version of Oprah is or of Elon Musk or anyone like that. He came to earth as a carpenter. And he surrendered himself again because he wasn't the kind of carpenter that wanted to have a bigger carpentry studio so that he could live better and better and better. Now he spent his time not trying to build his business, but rather he surrendered himself to others by caring for the outcast, the sick, the lame, for the prostitutes, the people he called the least of these. And then when it seemed likely that he was in enough trouble with the authorities for loving those people, Jesus didn't decide, well, it was time for him to take off. No, Jesus stuck with it. He surrendered himself again and again, putting us before himself and was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Jesus surrendered himself to what was better for others rather than what was good for them. And Paul tells us in this passage, what Paul says is, let the same mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. That means we don't surrender just in giving something up for Lent, as helpful as that is. We don't surrender by just realizing we can't have everything our own way, as helpful as that is. No, we surrender by again and again and again, like Jesus, seeking to serve other people, living our lives for their benefit rather than for our own benefit. We surrender our need to chart our own course and to get our own way. We surrender our need to put ourselves at the center of the universe and to look out for number one. We surrender ourselves in huge ways and in small ways by looking towards the good of others rather than the good for ourselves. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like in your lives to do that. I don't know very many of you very well. You'll have to think through what does it mean and what tangible ways can you put other people before yourself? Maybe it means caring for your neighbors who are going through a divorce rather than flipping on Netflix again. Or maybe it means valuing your career a little less so that you can show love towards those who are closest to you. 
not sure exactly what it means. Maybe it means making some kind of really amazing sacrifice that nobody would see coming. That's what I saw back when I was a pastor in central Illinois. Our church was partners with a medical mission in Mexico, in Chiapas, Mexico, and they had put up a new, they were in the process of putting up a new medical clinic and they needed money for a roof. And so we designed a ministry for Lent called Give It Up for Chiapas, where we encouraged people to give up something for Lent and then give whatever money would have gone towards whatever they gave up to help fund the roof for the medical clinic. And we suggested things like, I don't know, skipping Starbucks every day and drinking coffee at home and putting that amount of money towards the roof. Or, you know, if your family tends to go out to eat, maybe skipping one day a week and putting that money towards the roof rather than putting it towards a meal out. You know, fairly modest things like that. Well, when we dedicated the offering, we found out that we had raised 50% more than we needed for the roof. And maybe it was because of people like a man I'll call Jerry. Jerry was a fairly new member of the church. He was retired. He had run a small diner during his career. And Jerry was not as well-dressed as other people in the congregation, and I don't think he was as well-educated as other people in the congregation. And Jerry had this, has this big smile and these really sparkly eyes, but Jerry is not someone who would ever draw attention to himself. After Lent was over, I was talking with him one day and we were celebrating how much money we had raised, how much more than what we needed and how much help we would be able to give to this medical clinic. And I asked Jerry if he had participated and he said, yes, he had. And I didn't ask him what he gave up, but he offered. He lowered his voice and he said, I gave up all of my social security checks during Lent. Now that's surrender. That, with that, Jerry decided that he would not be the center of the universe. With that Jerry put other people before himself, their good rather than his own. And with that, Jerry had the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. And amen.